Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And Lord, we ask that you would take this time that we have dedicated to your worship and allow us to accomplish that goal. Lord, remember that, help us to remember that you are the audience for whom we sing. Lord, we're thankful that we have been redeemed and that we can give glory to your name and that you will accept that from us. Lord, we ask that during the special music and the preaching, and Lord, the time of invitation at the end of the service, that each part will be done to bring glory and honor to your most precious name. We ask that you would do the work in each heart and soul here today that only you can accomplish. We pray for those among us who do not know for sure their eternal destiny, that they are saved, that today they would be able to put their trust fully in you. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please remain. Let's go to the book of Ephesians this morning. Ephesians chapter 6. A somewhat familiar passage with many of you here today, but uh, we've been doing a loose series since the first Sunday of the year, and I uh, decided to keep it going a couple more Sundays here on Christian warfare, on the battle we face in serving God. And uh, those of you that were not here the first week uh, of the year, January 1st, we spent uh, our time on the strangest battle plan in history. And that is get your praise between you and God straightened out, and He'll take care of the battle. Amen. If you can worship God, if you can give praise to Him where you are, you will be in the safest place in the world. You'll be in God's will. And then we talked about the daily battles, the battles with self, the battle for our worship, the battle for our daily surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then last Sunday we talked about, we used David and Goliath. That story is a backdrop that David actually ran toward the battle. And oftentimes uh, we try to stay away from the battle as long as we can. We try to, uh, uh, as they say, uh, go into the bunker and wait until the last minute. And that's not the way David fought the battle. He had spent his whole life preparing for those few moments. David never had any idea that he would meet Goliath until it was that day. But it was his humbling of himself in the sight of the Lord it was his focus on his faith in God rather than on the giant Goliath. And of course, if we're going to talk about the battles that the Christian fights, if we're going to talk about uh, being prepared to serve our Lord, we, we've got to spend some time in Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to read verses 10 through 19. And those of you that have been through this passage before, uh, my prayer is that we will take it as an encouragement, as a reminder, as something that will help us uh, to continue serving the Lord. And those that have not been through the passage, that we would learn some things and, and, and learn how God wants us to serve Him. In verse 10, as Paul is summing up this book to the church in the city of Ephesus, he says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power 
of his might. Now, before we read anymore, I'd just like to make a comment. A lot of us like verse 10. I mean, the idea of being strong, uh, of being able to handle the situation, uh, that's something that we just like to identify with. Does anybody here like to lose? Does anybody here like to, to lose the game because you couldn't play the fourth quarter? You were too tired out. To lose the battle because you didn't have enough strength to remain on your feet for the last few moments. How many times has history been decided? Not by the strength of the victor, but by the weakness of the defeated. Now, you could spend your whole life thinking about that phrase right there. It's not always because the one who wins the battle is so strong. But it is almost always because the person who loses the battle lost their hope or lost their strength. Probably the greatest illustration of that right there is, in American history anyway, is the Vietnam War. In the museum in Saigon, I've never been there. I have no desire to really go there. In what used to be Saigon, they have a plaque there that says, dedicated to the Americans who won the war for us. We were defeated. We knew we couldn't win. We were going to give in until the peace movement came along and gave us hope. That is a tragedy, my friend. The answer and the solution, right here, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. But if you're going to do that, if you're going to accomplish that, some things are going to have to happen. And that's where we're going to spend the bulk of our time this morning. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints and for me that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. And so as Paul is wrapping up a letter to the church at Ephesus, 
a church that Paul, through the work of God, had started. He was now bound in chains. He was a prisoner in Rome. He had been deprived of his freedom for two years in the land of Israel. And then the perilous journey to Rome. He was now in prison. And he was writing to this church to encourage them in their service for the Lord. Now, I want to challenge you that there is a battle going on. How many of you had to go through a struggle just to get here this morning? Nobody? Everybody found a parking spot? No questions? The trains were running right on time? I don't believe that in New York. If you're here today, may I challenge you that you're here on purpose. That you didn't, most of you did not just walk down the street and say, hey, it's Sunday, there's a church. Let me just walk in and see what's going on. Most of you are here on purpose. That's a good thing. But how many of you are here and something else is on your mind today as we sit here? In the services. Is somebody going to slide into my car while I'm in church and I go out and it's all going to be all beat up? Is the roast going to burn for dinner? Or what am I going to do for lunch? Or who's going to win the football game? You know something? It's good to root for a team and enjoy some things like that. But I'll tell you what. If you care more about what goes on on the football field than learning about God, it's time to stop and evaluate where you are. Amen? There is a battle going on for our attention, for our affections. It is for our thought processes. It's for what goes on in our mind. And as that battle is being fought, God has given us some commands. And and we've gone over this in past weeks. So we're just going to take a a very short moment before we get into the sermon proper. and, And look at the enemy, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It is so easy to look at another human being and say... That's the enemy. That's not the enemy. How many of you are old enough to remember Madeline Murray O'Hare? The atheist that took prayer out of the public schools. Uh, Let me tell you something. Madeline Murray O'Hare did not take prayer out of the public schools. In 1962... I can't tell you where I was because I wasn't. But I've talked to preachers. I've talked to my pastor who was somewhat of a leader among preachers in his day. And I said, Brother Thompson, why when this decision came down, why why didn't the churches do more and raise more of of a voice against this thing? And his answer was simply this. He said, we thought it was a joke. He said, we couldn't 
comprehend an America where prayer would actually be forbidden in its schools. He said it was something that we thought was soon going to be overturned, that somebody would pass a law. He said, and before we realized the import of what had happened, it was too late to reverse it. But I'd I'd like to build upon that for a minute. You see, this is a free country and Americans get what they want, do they not? We have a president. We got what we wanted. Do you like it? You say, I'm going to change it. We'll see. Will the change be any better than what we got? We'll see. But let me tell you, the enemy is not in the White House. It's not in Congress. The greatest enemy we face is the apathy or the carelessness of the American people. Of God's people. Because if you're not careful, if you're not caring about what goes into your heart and into your soul, if you're not careful about how you treat this book called the Bible, let me tell you something. Our nation is going in a direction that is not good. And it's because the voice of God's people has gotten smaller and smaller to where it's no longer even part of the conversation. Now, you know what a lot of people want to do? They want to get discouraged and they quit. Let me tell you something. That's not the answer. The answer is be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. The enemy we fight is not the politicians. It's the unseen wickedness. Look at this list in verse 12. It says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. How many of you believe in the, what is it, the Hildeburgers or the Bilderbergers or the Hamburgers or whatever they're called? And and how many people know what that name means? Okay, we got two or three. Uh, The John Birch Society, does anybody remember it, familiar with it? Okay. And uh, Black Helicopters, does anybody remember that? Uh, what they're talk- what I'm talking about is things I've picked up over the years from people who believe that somewhere there's a little smoke-filled room with a few people that run the world. Uh, you can find fantasy land at the amusement park too, my friend. Don't get drawn in with the conspiracies. Let me tell you who we're fighting. We're fighting against the devil. And he's got his servants influencing people. That's what it's talking about. Powers. And it's not Sister Deborah up on 30th Avenue, all right? She can tell all and remove all hexes and curses. Don't, just don't go there. That's not what it's, that's not the real problem. The rulers, that's plural, 
the rulers of darkness of this world. That's talking about demonic influences, my friend. It's real. How are you going to battle against something you cannot see? Are you going to get one of me the, get me one of those sci-fi costumes that allows me to see things that aren't there, right? No. How you're going to do it? Verse 12, I mean 13, wherefore because of this take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day And this last phrase is where I got the title for this morning's message, and having done all to stand. I I wish we had time this morning to paint the pictures and and give you the histories of, of armies on the battlefields where the defeat occurred. Not because, the enemy, not because they were not strong enough to withstand the enemy, but because they did not do all to stand. How many of you are familiar with the fall of France in World War II? The Maginot Line was the most fortified border that any country has ever built in history. If you've ever seen, you ought to take time. If you're, if you're a history guy, you'll love this. Take time to look it up and look at the different levels and the life support systems and all of the things that they had built into that line of fortresses to protect France from Germany. How many of you know what happened? The king of Belgium advocated to the Nazis. And the panzers went north, behind the wall, and right down into Paris. And in six weeks, the Third Republic had fallen. It wasn't because they could not resist the enemy. It was because they did not do all to stand. You can guard the front door all you want, but if the back door is hanging wide open, You're in deep trouble, my friend. What happens on the battlefield, the great battlefields of history, often happens in a very small way, if you like the word, in the microcosm of your life. The small universe that belongs to you. The Bible says the answer is to be strong in the Lord in the power of His might, It tells us the commands of God in this passage are very simple. Verse 10 says, be strong and in the power of his might, not our power, but his. Verse 11 says, put on the whole armor of God. Verse 13 says, take unto you the whole armor of God. There's some activity that has to happen here that is dependent upon your willful choice and your submission to God's word and obedience to what he says. Now, what is the armor of God? Notice it says twice here that you need to take the whole armor of God. Could you imagine 
one of our special operations military personnel only wearing half of their uniform. And see, that's dumb. That's, that's, that's worse. That is purposeful carelessness. How in the world would you go into battle with only half of your protection and half of your weaponry? That, that would be beyond foolish. That would be committing suicide. Yeah, it would. But you know what? We as Christians do that every day of our lives. When we do not take the whole armor of God. You're going into battle unprepared. And what happens when you go into battle unprepared? Uh, it's called losing. Praise God, you cannot lose your salvation once you have it. The helmet of salvation here is not being saved. You've got to be saved first. That's very simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved. You know what makes salvation complicated? It's everything we try to add to it. Brother Nikolai was talking about the, the Arminian Baptist in, in Russia that believe you can lose your salvation. Why? Because they believe in Jesus, but they believe they have to keep it. When you believe in Jesus, you let him keep it. That's salvation. Amen. Otherwise, you're going to put yourself in the land of hope so. The Bible is a no-so book. You've got to believe on the Lord Jesus and nothing else. He's the one that died for you. He paid the price for your sins. And praise God, He's the one that rose again from the dead. When we stand in the power of His might, as the Bible tells us to, we are understanding that Jesus Christ has victory over mankind. How did He get that victory? Because He became a man. And never once did He sin. He has victory over the devil. He has victory over sin. He has victory over death in that he willingly laid down his life for us and willingly rose again from the dead, proving that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. How many of you remember the day when you simply trusted in him? As the publican said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. It's not the words. It's the transaction that happens in your heart between God and you when you just simply take God at his word. Amen? Now, if you're going to be his servant, by the way, that's where the church comes in. That's what the church is all about. If, if we really wanted to follow all of the description that is here, this is the armory, my friend. This is where you come to sharpen your sword. This is where you come to repair the deficits in your armor that have happened over the week and to be encouraged and to learn how to march and step with others and to serve God. Uh, they make lots of movies about one guy going out and taking on the whole world. 
I got one word for that. Stupid. It doesn't happen that way. The only man, single man, that has ever taken on the whole world is Jesus Christ. And that's because he is God. Amen? The rest of us are going to have to learn some things. And that's what this is talking about. The commands are to be strong in the power of his might. If you're going to do that, you're going to have to take the whole armor of God. You're going to have to willingly make a decision that I'm going to put this on. And by the way, if you can put it on, you can take it off. I wonder how often you have to decide to put the armor on. Well, why don't we go back two weeks? How about daily? How about daily? How often do you get distracted? Well, well, Pastor, that happens lots of times a day. Well, maybe you'll have to put it on lots of times a day. Amen? Until you learn to keep it on. And that's part of what this is inferring and talking about in this. It's learning to wear the armor. We don't take a guy out of boot camp and dress him up in all of the special things and night, sight, uh, night vision goggles and all the armor plating and protection and then throw him in the battlefield. He's got to learn how to use those things and to live in those garments before he is ready to face the enemy. Let's look at the armor for a minute. It's interesting the order that things are in. Verse 14. And if you've been with us a while, we've taken weeks and weeks, months actually. Uh, Sunday night we did it one time, Thursday night another time, where we've gone through this and taught an entire lesson on each part of the armor. And uh, we're not going to do that this morning. We'll have you out on time by God's grace. But it's interesting that the first part of the armor that's mentioned, having your loins girt about with truth. Do you know how many life's questions would be answered if you just dealt in the realm of truth? Do you know how many marriages would be saved? How many divorces averted if we just dealt in the realm of truth? Do you know how many wars would not have been fought if we had just dealt in the realm of truth. I believe the biggest problem we have today is not that sinners lie. I believe that the biggest problem we face today is when God's people refuse to stand in the realm of truth. Where we compromise just a little bit. Where we give in just a little bit to the world. I remember years ago, a, a well-known radio preacher uh, got himself into a lot of trouble. And, and, and Because he said he was trying to help uh, a Roman Catholic friend of his understand that, there was a, that the Mass was not salvation. And so he tried to make a differentiation between the blood of Jesus Christ being shed on the cross and the death of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something, my friend. 
You can't separate between Jesus' death and his shed blood. It is one in the same. If you want to help somebody understand that the mass cannot save you, it's very simple. Now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. How often do you have to have mass in the Catholic church? Oh man, they, some churches have them every day. But wait a minute. Do you not see the difference? It is faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, not in the church to recreate the work of Jesus Christ. Amen? Am I in the right church this morning? Do you believe that? Was that a new revelation? Don't think so. But let me ask you a question. Is it truth? There's not a one of us here today that would like to think about a friend or a family member, someone we know, that would spend eternity in a place called hell. Is that not true? Hello? And so what do we do? You don't have to march into your parents' home and say, You guys are going to hell! That's not going to help. But it's also not going to help. Well, we all believe in the same God. I guess we just kind of together on this thing. Is that true? Let me tell you something. The reason there are different religions is because there are different gods. But that doesn't mean they all have different names. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, very simply, would there be any church in existence that would say, we do not worship the God of the Bible. We worship a lesser God, but it's just as good. Come to our church. Would anybody show up there? Would you darken the door of a place like that? I hope not. I hope you'd have more sense. So everybody says we serve the Most High God. But if you ever investigate, Sung Young Moon's God was a failure. He messed up. In fact, he had to come and get a guy that is so stupid he can't even figure out his income taxes. Those are his words, not ours. So, and say, will you fix what I failed at doing? Now, Sung Young Moon would not put it that way. But when he was in court, he said he made mistakes with hundreds of thousands of dollars of of, of uh, church funds and spent several years in prison for that. Now, let me tell you something. That God is not the God of the Bible. Amen. He doesn't make mistakes. Amen. And if he was looking for someone to help him out, he'd get somebody that's smart enough to do his taxes right. Amen? I was talking to a fellow of a 
the Islamic faith one time, and he said, well, you see, it's like this. Everybody's going to be standing in line. He said, and all the saints are going to be there. Jesus is going to be there, and Muhammad's going to be there, and Moses is going to be there. And, and, and what you're going to do is you're going to say, I want to go to heaven. And Moses will say, listen, I can get you there, but it's going to take 100,000 years. And Jesus is going to be there and he's going to say, you can choose me, but it's going to take 10,000 years. And But if you choose Muhammad, he'll take you right there. And he thought he had explained the difference between his faith and mine to me. Now, does that make a bit of sense to anybody in this auditorium? Good. Because if it does, well... Do like we did a couple weeks ago, sign you up for counseling because you need help. Amen. That's nonsense. You see, what did Jesus say? He says, you read Moses and the prophets? He said, they talk about me. You think you're going to get salvation by believing in only the Old Testament? And it's going to condemn you because I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Amen? I mean, I could, I could spend the whole time here and I don't want to on truth. But I could also just illustrate it this way. How many of us have fudged on the truth this week? How many of us told a little white lie since last Sunday? How many of us agreed with somebody so that we wouldn't have confrontation just so that things would be better for us? See, when it says having your loins girt about with truth, means not compromising this book called the Bible. Amen? When the person says, well, you know, uh, we've been here for millions of years. No, we haven't. Mankind has a short history. A little over 6,000 years. But science doesn't agree with you. How many of you remember what they were teaching in the 1970s in the science textbooks? We were looking for a global ice age. Does anybody remember that in high school and grade school? I, I remember going, going home at night and looking up into the sky, what my teacher had told me in third grade. And, and I, I remember thinking about these things. And it was a cold night in October. And I said, oh, it's coming. We're all going to freeze to death. Well, praise God, it was a little older. A teacher told me, read your Bible. And so I read it, and I found out God was in control. Uh, you know what they're saying now? How many haven't heard of global warming? How many wouldn't appreciate a little global warming this morning at 19 degrees with a 4-degree wind chill, huh? I, I could use a little global warming right now. How about you? You say, but, but you're, you're joking. People are going to die. Yeah. 
It's like the law about cell phones. You pull over to the side of the road to use your cell phone and get creamed by a snowplow and you die. Uh, I'm just not sure about that, all that stuff. They're trying to protect us. Let me tell you something. Stick with truth. Stick with what's real. Stick with the Word of God. When God made this planet, He made it a little better than man could mess it up. Amen? And I'm not talking about polluting and stuff. Uh, You know, people are crazy. If you don't believe in, in cleaning up the environment, what do you mean I don't believe in cleaning up the environment? But let me tell you, God doesn't need you and your little Greenpeace ship out there keeping the world safe. He'll do it all by himself. That's truth. We say, well, it's only entertainment. It won't hurt me. That's not truth, my friend. We say, you know, I know pastor makes a big deal about the Bible version we use, but, but you know, I don't think you have to fight with everybody. We don't fight with anybody around here. If you don't use the Bible version we do, you're going to be lost. I'm sorry. Uh, that's why we encourage you to use the same one so that you can know and follow with us. And if you want to know the reasons why we use the old King James, you have to see me afterwards. That's going to take longer than we have time for in a sermon this morning. But I want a book that's not been messed with. That's why I use it. That's why I won't use the other ones. Truth. Is it right to accept baptism from churches that don't teach the truth and say we're all the same? Or should we stand on the truth and say, unless that church teaches right and practices right about the Bible, that baptism is invalid because it's ignored the authority of this book called the Bible. Now, that's not popular preaching. But let me ask you a question. Is it true? It is. And when we stand, therefore, having our loins girt about with truth, it's just simply standing on the Word of God. What's the next one? It says, having on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, the breastplate, I guess if we wanted to modernize it, in the modern, would be your bulletproof vest. Why do we wear such things? Uh, because if you get shot, we want the bullet stopping in the vest and not inside of you. Amen? I mean, that's the whole purpose, is to protect your heart and your inner organs, and uh, there's an awful lot that is being said and, and uh, about our heart, and Valentine's Day is coming up. And if you get a card, ladies, that says, I have studied long and hard and understand the mental notion of love, and I assent that I may have this emotion towards you. Get out a paper shredder and get rid of that thing. 
and get rid of him as soon as you can. I tr- trust me. You don't want a metal, mental understanding of the concept of love. You want someone that says, I love you with all of my heart. The word you often find in the scripture is the word bowels. I love you with all of my guts. Guys, don't try that one. I know it sounds cool, but she won't like it. But what you're really saying is, I love you with everything that is inside of me. It's not just a physical thing on the outside. It's not just a mental thing in my head. It's something that comes from my heart. Now, if I were to pass out a sheet of paper to everyone in here, say, I want you to write down ten things that you want to happen in your life. Either possessions you want to possess, goals you want to achieve, ten things. Pastor, this is church. How could I come up with with ten things that would that you would that you would approve of? Ah, now we're getting to the point. You see, the breastplate of righteousness protects our hearts. Our hearts do not naturally want the things that God wants us to want. Did we get that? Our heart wants things that we want. We are innately selfish and self-centered as human beings. If we put on God's breastplate of righteousness, guess who becomes the center of our heart? Because you can't get righteousness from yourself. It's got to be loaned to you while you're in this flesh. That's what Jesus does when we come and surrender to him. He gives us the ability to do what he wants us to do and love it. I loved our brother's testimony. He said, I was sitting across the table from a young woman who wanted to go to Russia as a missionary and never been there. I was born there and should have wanted to go there, but I didn't want to go. He said, but God changed my heart. Now it's a privilege. Did you catch all that? He said, it's a privilege to serve God in that country I didn't want to go back to. Because I want to go there now. See, when you put on that breastplate of righteousness, God makes you love the right things. And that will do more to protect you from the devil and the powers of this world than anything you can imagine. Someone said, you just need to train your mind to think right. No, you let God train your heart. He'll take care of your mind. The breastplate of righteousness. How can I tell when I have it on? Well, it's interesting. It's easy. When I want the things Jesus talks about in the scripture. When I get wanting something else. When something else gets more important, then I better check my breastplate. It might be getting loose. 
my feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I tell you, most Christians serve God barefoot. What is the preparation of the gospel of peace? What happens when a soul gets saved, my friend? The first thing they have is peace with God, isn't it? What happens when people are at enmity or struggle with each other? And someone comes along and is able to put the word of God into that situation. It's like pouring water on a fire, my friend. This book, when it's obeyed, brings peace between the sinner and God, between the sinner and himself. And let me tell you something. If you're at peace with God and peace with yourself, it's a whole lot easier to be at peace with others. How many of you could lead somebody else to Jesus at a moment's notice with nothing but your Bible in your hand? If you cannot do that, your feet are not shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That's what it's talking about here. It's letting this book determine where you go and what you do when you get there. It says, above all, the next verse, above all, taking the shield of faith. It says, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Now, we could give testimony and we could raise hands this morning, but let me tell you, every one of us in this room at one time or another, has been hit with one of those fiery darts of the wicked. You ever wonder why you just lose your temper sometimes and explode? Uh, you just got hit with a fiery dart, my friend. You ever wonder why you do something so dumb that when you look at it, you say, I just don't understand how in the world I could do such a thing. Am I the only one that's ever done that? I don't think so. You know what? You just got hit by a fiery dart. You ever had something that just doesn't make a bit of sense? Probably a fiery dart. How do you battle those things? It says the shield of faith. It's just believing God's word. You know, I remember 20 years ago, 22, three years ago, as my new wife and I started talking about coming to New York City, and, and I had preachers say, you're crazy for going to New York City. You know what? They don't say that anymore. See, I can't believe what God did in New York City. Well, neither can I at times, but I'll tell you what. It was faith that brought us here, and it's faith that's going to keep us. It's faith. It's just simple obedience to God's word that has brought each person into the membership of this church. And the answer to every struggle that we struggle, is it not faith? 
How many of you have ever tried to solve a problem your own way? Everybody in the room, raise your hand. Yeah. How many of you tried to solve a problem God's way? My daughter called me from college, and I'm not going to give you the details of the situation she was facing. Very minor situation. If not handled properly, it could have blown up to be something huge. And she said, Daddy, I talked to my friends, and they told me to do this, but I, I just wanted to talk to you and Mom and see what you said. And I said, I said, uh, don't do what your friend said. Here, here's what the Bible says. She said, you know, that's... What I was thinking I ought to do. She knows the Bible. And I think that was on Thursday. On Friday. She dealt with the situation biblically. And Saturday she calls me up and says, Dad, I'm just so glad. Everything is just absolutely wonderful. It's not a problem. In fact, what I thought was a problem really wasn't even a problem. And just because I obeyed the Bible... Everything is good and we're still uh, having, we're still good friends and everything is going on better than if nothing had ever happened. That's faith. Somebody said, oh, constantly we get this question. Why did you have all them kids? Well, We started out by faith, and praise God, we're going to end by faith. We're not going to argue with God about what he wants to do. Well, let me tell you, it's not always pleasant. And the problems don't get smaller as they get older. They get bigger. But that's what growing faith is all about. Amen? Faith. Take the shield of faith. Hide behind God's word. What do you do when the devil attacks you and you begin to doubt your salvation? Let me tell you something. You hide behind God's word. The next thing is the helmet of salvation. And we'll just get into what that is. The helmet of salvation is not being saved You've got to be saved before you can girt your loins about with truth because until you believe the truth of Jesus Christ, you have nothing to stand on. The helmet of salvation is the knowledge of your salvation. It's knowing that God is always in control. How many of you remember the tragedy of 9-11? It's hard to imagine that was 10 years ago. Isn't it? Now, wait a minute. Was God in control on 9-11? Yes, he was. You say, but why did that horrible thing happen? You know what? I'm going to let God take care of that question. But I will tell you this. When God is in control, He doesn't save us from trouble. He gives us strength to go through it. Amen? Having the helmet of salvation is knowing 
that my eternal destiny is secure and that no matter what happens to me, I can trust God. Then you get to the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And by the way, that sword is not for slashing your husband or your wife because they're not doing right. Let me show you what the Bible says about you. That that is an improper use of the sword, my friend. What does that sword read? Hebrews 4, 12. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Whose thoughts and intents are you supposed to discern, my friend? Yours. You say, how can you prove that? What's the next verse? Praying always. How many of you have ever prayed a selfish prayer? Every one of us has. What's the cure? The sword of the Spirit. You see, we don't have time to develop this point either, but In the Old Testament tabernacle, what was the closest that the high priest ever got to God on a daily basis? It was the golden altar of incense, which is a picture of prayer. The mercy seat has been taken care of. That was Jesus Christ, our high priest, who did that once for all eternity. But if you want to be close to God, let me tell you something. You're going to have to get on your knees Not physically maybe, but in your heart and in your soul. You're going to have to learn how to pray. If you want a relationship with God, that is what the Christian is supposed to do. You want to see this country change? Let me tell you, if God's people in this country, those who are saved, got serious about praying, this country would change. How many of you have ever prayed for a parking spot? We ought to do that pretty regular, shouldn't we? Now, don't raise your hands. How many of you have got the answer first time around the block? Well, sometimes it takes two or three now, doesn't it? Why? God uses prayer. Not to motivate himself, but to change us. To get us out of the way. To get our desires and our whims and our fancies, our thought, our, our thought processes, our understanding of the world in which we live. When you take on the whole armor of God, you are to be praying always with all prayer and supplication. In the spirit, it says. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Do you get what this is saying? Is there a verse in the Bible that says, go out and find the devil and fight him? Is there a verse in the Bible that says, seek out these principalities and try to find these rulers of darkness in high places and and 
take your Bible and, and shine the light of the gospel on them and drive them away. No, that's in horror movies. By the way, it doesn't work there. It doesn't work anywhere. You see, I fight the devil by putting my full attention and soul on God. Do you like to make the devil angry? Ignore him. Stop paying attention to him. Stop letting his distractions pull you aside. How many of you have ever been praying and all of a sudden some horrible thought comes running through your head? Happens to us all. Praying always with all supplication in the Spirit. And watching. You say, when do I quit praying? When God takes you home is when you quit praying. Amen? You need to learn to pray, but you need to learn to pray on your feet as well. If you drive around here, you need to learn to pray while you're driving. You need to learn to pray while you're working. You need to learn to pray at every moment of the day. How many of you wish can think of one example this past week that if you'd just taken a few moments and prayed first, things might have turned out different. Every one of us, huh? Well, maybe we didn't have the whole armor of God on, which is why we didn't pray, which is why we failed the test. Don't go chasing the devil. Put on the whole armor of God. There's two things that Paul says to pray for. He says, Pray for all saints and pray for me. He says, I want you to pray for your other Christian brethren that are out there. I want you to pray for other members of the church. I I want you to pray and watch in prayer. Aren't you glad that you can come here Sunday night and bring any prayer request that is heavy upon your heart and know that other people sitting in this church that know you will pray for your request? Isn't that a wonderful thought? How many prayers have we had answered over the years because God's people just simply prayed one for another? What's the other thing? Paul says, I want you to pray for me that I can take the gospel where I am. He said, I'm in prison, but I'm going to speak as I ought to speak in bonds for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we pray for our missionaries. They're not in bondage, praise God, but that they can speak as they ought to speak in the lands that God has placed them. Amen? As your pastor, I covet your prayers. I need your prayers. Why? Because I'm just a man. But we serve the God of heaven. 
Paul said, pray for me, your pastor's going to follow his example and say, pray for me. Amen? Our missionaries, we've not had a missionary here that's not said, we need your prayers. You know why? They're just following Paul's example. But how are you going to pray if you don't have the armor on? You're not going to pray the way God wants you to pray. And those prayers don't get answers. There's a battle. The battle's not fought by chasing the devil. The battle's fought by getting on our knees, getting consumed with who God is and what He wants to accomplish. How do you know to get your prayers answered? When you start praying for what God wants to do, He'll answer your prayers. It's just that simple. Is that why God never gave me a million dollars? Probably so. It's just not on his list. But what if you started praying for that person to get saved? You know what? That's on his list. Because he's not willing that any should perish. You see, but some people do. They do. But they do so fighting against God and every person that has prayed for them. You know what? We ought to make it difficult for people to go to hell. Amen? You see, the evil day is coming. Some would say, it's here. Well, I'm not going to argue that point. But here's what it says. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. When we stand before God and He judges our lives, are we going to be confident that we have done all to stand. That question ought to put a little fear in your heart. That question ought to make you think about some things. Because God wants us to have the victory. Because he purchased it on Calvary's cross and at the empty tomb. But if you're going to have that victory in your life, you're going to have to have your loins girt about with truth. You're going to have to put on the whole armor of God, the breastplate of righteousness, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith, And put on the helmet of salvation and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Not so that you can slash and hash and remake an old sword play movie. So that you can pray always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And all God's people said. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, my prayer.
is that we would do all to stand. That you would open our eyes to see those little things where we hinder the truth in our lives. Where we put down the shield of faith. Where we take off the helmet of salvation or refuse to put on the preparation of the gospel of peace. Lord, where we lay down the sword of the Spirit or vainly try to use it on someone else or something else. But we would let your word transform us and discern the thoughts and intents of our hearts. Lord, that we would fight the devil not by fighting the devil, but by worshiping you. Lord, We ask that you would work in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.